0: Welcome back to Thrive. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Amy Ogden, a senior VP of brand development at a luxury travel agency in New York City. Amy also has a TEDx talk, gives keynote talks on marketing to millennials, and has her own blog and podcast called Sips of Sunshine. Be sure to stay tuned through the episode, drop us your thoughts on social media, and without further ado, welcome Amy.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me today. It's such a pleasure to be talking to you.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad that you have reached out on LinkedIn about joining me on Thrive because I immediately watched your TED Talk and just knew you'd be a perfect fit and a really great story for listeners. So I'm really stoked to be able to chat today.
1: Uh, that's so good to hear, Erica. Yeah, I just, you know, when I discovered you and the, the messages you were putting out there I just felt like there was so much alignment and I was like wait a minute I really feel like we need to talk so
0: we're <laughs> oh my gosh absolutely so why don't we start off by just jumping right in and give us your backstory tell us the story of you um, and a little bit of how you got to where you are today
1: yeah definitely um, so so I, I'll give you, I'll keep it kind of short, but I'm in my early forties, I'm 43 and I live in New York city. I live in Manhattan. Um, I like to joke. I live on the, I, and this is not a joke. I live on the corner of the friends building. I'm actually looking at it as we speak. Oh my gosh. That's epic. Yeah, It's pretty funny. And people tell me I look like Monica sometimes. So that's you do. <laughs> funny to me. Yeah. So, but I joked when I moved in, I was telling my friends, you know, I'm like, Hey, I found this apartment. I go, I actually am like across the street. Like I face the friends building and someone goes, oh, you're ugly naked guy. (laughs) I was like, I am now. Um, So that's good. Um, But yeah, so I live in New York. I work at a a phenomenal travel and tourism and luxury lifestyle PR and social media agency. Been with my company for eight and a half years. It's the best. Um, And a few years ago, you know, I was just really seeking a creative outlet and a passion project. And I launched Sips of Sunshine, and it started as a blog um, that turned into the cover of the New York Post. It, that uh, this is another story for another day, but it actually started as a beauty blog and then turned into lifestyle and advice. Um, so I was on the cover of the beauty section of the Post uh, right after it launched, and then that parlayed into a TEDx talk, and then I turned it into a podcast. And so. It's just been so fun. Um, In a nutshell, I'm from Seattle, originally born and raised. I went to college in Florida, um, moved from Florida to San Diego in my early 30s. It's where I joined the company I'm at now. And then five years ago, one month, uh, like exactly in one month from now, it'll be five years, I moved to New York City. And we'll talk more about that move as we go, you know, through our talk today. But it's all been amazing. And I feel like it's just, you know, a joy and a privilege to live this life.
0: That's awesome. So I know moving from San Diego to New York to basically live in a box and rise through the ranks (laughs) at this luxury New York PR firm. Um, you've talked about this in your Ted talk. So how did you know the move was right for you and what drove you to a decision that big? Because I mean. You described it really well in your TED Talk, but feel free to go into it again here for anybody who hasn't heard that yet. That was a crazy, huge move for you and such a huge life transition that many of us will might never experience in the course of our life. So tell us all about that because it was crazy.
1: It was. Um, <laughs> it was really crazy. I think people thought I was crazy. I... First, you know, I first visited New York when I was about 20 or 21 years old. I was living in Jacksonville, Florida at the time, going to college. And I still remember, I mean, that at this point was like 23 years ago. I remember walking probably down the street I live on today, um, uh, because I remember it was this neighborhood, thinking like, wow, I would like, I, I feel like living in New York is like, you know, the apex but, you know, I was this like young, broke girl living at the beach in Florida, like did not have the resources to even move to like Atlanta, let alone New York. And I just remember walking around these streets and thinking, how cool would it be to live here? But, you know, it's just not for me. Right. I was like, I don't have whatever the whatever the magic password is you need to get through the golden door that gets you to New York City. Like I just don't have that password. I just remember thinking like it's for other people, but it's not for me. And so then I went about my life. I lived in Florida for you know 13 more years. And then I moved to San Diego and lived in San Diego for four years. And I loved San Diego. Like I always say, I'm like, I will retire there. I will move back there. I think San Diego is heaven on earth. Um, but after four years in San Diego, I just felt like I knew that my soul Was calling out to me to to shake it up, and because of my role at my company, I would come to New York a lot for work. So so over time, these visits to New York, I I would say it almost like the it got demystified. It didn't seem like such a mystery to live here because I would meet more and more people who lived here, including my own coworkers. And I was like, oh, they're just normal people who just did it. You know, they booked the flight, they got the apartment, they just did it, and. There is no, you know, open sesame, you know, secret password to the city. You just have to do it. And so I would come to New York and I did this for years, you know, probably three, two, three years of pretty consistent visits for work. And every time I came, it almost became, it went from like dream to reality. And I remember it was summer, I guess this, uh, anyway, it was the summer before I moved, and I moved in April. So I, ma- I took my time with the decision to move, but I was here for a visit and I was walking around the village, and I just had this peaceful knowing, and I don't have any other way to explain it. I just had this really peaceful knowing that I needed to do this. But the kicker is, I was 38. I had a two-story townhome, a BMW, a golden doodle. Like I had a life. Like I didn't. You know, it's not like I was just like living in an apartment, could pack up my things and move. Like I had a life that was hard to unravel, and and it was a beautiful life. And so, I went back to California and I talked to my company about it, and they were. I mean, and I always do say like. I kind of got the golden ticket here. Like I, I work for the best people who supported and encouraged this decision, and they were right there with me. And so, um, so I made the decision. But then I did take like six months to really like buckle down, save my money. You know, I mean, I had to. I had a lot to do. Um, it wasn't a quick move, but I did it. And on April third um, of what would that be? I guess 2015. I arrived in New York with my entire life packed into about seven boxes. I gave my beloved golden doodle to my very best friend in the whole world. We lived together. We were roommates. So my dog knew her just like a second mom, um, who is the best mom to her to this day. And I sold my car. I gave away or sold every single thing I owned. I didn't put anything in storage. Like there was no safety. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's what's really important here, you know. I, a few people actually said to me they go well, just put all your stuff in storage and go try it. Do a sublet for like 6 months and just try. Don't even just like pack your luggage and just go and sublet a, you know, a designed place and like just do that. And I was like, "Well, but then I'm not doing it." And I didn't want a safety net. It was sort of like, what does Tony Robbins say? Or someone says like, row to the island and burn the boats. Like Mm -hmm. I wrote to the island and burn the boat. It was like, well, you're here now. Like there's no going back. And um, I told myself, I was like, you can plan, but you can't worry. And the thing I want to come back to on this for anyone who's listening, who's like, well, yeah, that must be great. You know, I didn't have anything you don't have. I promise you. Yes, I had a supportive job, but I also, since I moved here, have friends who've moved here without a job and they got a job and you know, they didn't have crazy savings accounts. They saved just enough to make it work. Like you just make it work. And the other thing for anyone who's listening, who's like, well, yeah, that sounds great. But you know, you know, we can all get lost in the yeah, buts um, yeah, but I'm too old or yeah, but I don't work for a great company that would support it or yeah, but, but it's like, but then that's the reason you have to do it. I did it at 38. And I, I think that's one of the things about my story that's actually the most unique is I think a lot of people at 38 kind of think they're cooked and they're like, well, this is my Mm -hmm. life. And at 38, I woke up one day and I said, I just don't think this is my life. I think I'm supposed to be living a really different life, at least right now. And so if someone's listening and they think that there's an expiration date on their dreams, I just want to tell them that there's not.
0: Ooh, I love that. And I love what you said about how you have to eliminate the mentality of trying. I actually, I wrote about that on my blog in the past and in my book coming out about you can't, try. You just have to do it. And that it's like a whole change in your mindset because so often people will say, Oh, well I'll try. You're like, I'll give it a go. But then that in and of itself, it like has an excuse or it has a way out woven into those very words where it's like, it gives you the option to be like, yep, I failed or I'm not doing it because I was just trying. I wasn't actually doing it. Whereas if, if you look at literally anything that we do in life, If it's something that you know with 100% certainty you're going to make happen, the word try never comes out of your mouth. You just go, yeah, I'll do it. Like, yep. You don't say you're going to try to take the, you know, take the trash out. You're just like, yep, I'll take the trash out. I'm going to do it because you know you can and you just make it happen. So what a, what a cool mentality that you, you know, did that on such a massive scale with a move that big.
1: Thank you for that. I used to, when I lived in Jacksonville, I had this really sassy yoga instructor, Mark, and he used to always say, trying is lying. You do or you don't.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I think Yoda, Yoda, said Yoda said that too, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I think Yoda was, do or do not. <laughs> he really stole it from Yoda. But yeah, it's, it's, and you know, and this isn't in like a militant, like harsh way. It's also okay not to do it. Yeah, but I agree with you. I think when you say you're going to try, you're almost giving yourself permission to not you know, to go, well, I just said I was going to try it. It's like, it's also just okay to say, you know what? That's just not for me right now, whatever that is.
0: Yeah, you're right. And when people, I think when they, when they say they're trying, it's like, they might be afraid of saying no or for whatever reason, because saying no in and of itself can be a whole other can of worms that makes people uncomfortable. So it's almost like that. Oh, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't, but I don't want to commit either way. And it's like, That middle ground is not where the magic happens for better or worse. So I think that's definitely a sound takeaway for people. (laughs) Agree. So in making these big decisions, whether it's a career move or a literal physical move like what you did... Do you have like a a sort of checklist or pros and cons or some other process maybe that you use to help vet if it's the right move at the right time? Because I know you mentioned having this very peaceful knowing being there that this was right for you, but there might be people listening who don't necessarily have the opportunity to physically be somewhere or physically experience something where they get that sort of confirmation of, yep, this feels right. This is for me. If they're not in a trying capacity, if that makes sense. So, what kind of advice would you give to people, or what did you do yourself in your process in that vetting before making a definitive
1: decision? Sure. So, you know, one thing that I think is dangerous is asking for advice. Um, uh, people are happy to give advice, but they'll give really bold advice with without being in your shoes, you know, and without being in your heart and soul. And so I actually caution people about asking for advice. Ask for it, but maybe from like one or two very trusted people who you've know, you know probably known for a while. And maybe one is family, one is a friend and people who know you better than you know yourself. Um, I, when I made this decision, I think I told three people. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want all of the opinions coming at me because there were reasons for opinions to come at me. And, and I've heard them since, you know, I I still remember when I made the announcement on Facebook at the time I got a Facebook message from someone who I very much like and admire. And he said, I can't believe you're, he lives in the New York area He goes, I can't believe you'd move to crazy, busy, dirty New York. Your life in California looks perfect. And it made me take pause. Like, oh, you know, so then, here I was doubting myself. And this decision that I knew in my heart of hearts was right. Um, I've had people question my decision to give my dog to my best friend. That was easily the hardest but most secure decision I've ever made. She's the best mom in the world to that dog. And bringing the dog here was not the right decision um, for her, for mm-hmm. the dog. Um, so, so the opinions of others, I think, can muddle your clarity. So my first piece of advice with someone's trying to maybe make a big decision like this is be very thoughtful about who you talk to about it Um, because ultimately this needs to be a decision you feel really secure and that you made on your own. And I don't want anyone to look back and feel like they were pushed one direction or another. Um, And then, you know, the biggest thing I think is why do you like, why do you want to make this big decision? Whether it's a career move or a literal physical move. And, and by this, I mean, like I hear people say to me, oftentimes they'll be like, oh, I'm just like, I'm so bored at my job. I'm going to look for a new job. And I'm the first one to say, hold up, your job is not the only thing in your life. So are you bored in life? Or are you bored at work? because usually mm-hmm. when someone says they 're bored at work they 're actually bored in life, mm-hmm. and you don 't necessarily need to get a new job, maybe you just need to get a life and like go <laughs> find something that excites you and you know I come back to a few years ago, um, I absolutely love my job it 's amazing, but I could tell, and this wasn't i wasn 't thinking of a new job at all, but I needed some like creativity in my life. I needed, I needed an outlet to be more creative. And now some people might've looked at that and been like, Oh, I need a more creative job. But I was like, no, I just need a creative outlet. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started my blog. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think first, you know, ask yourself, like my, my life, I hear my, I have this phenomenal life coach and I can always hear her voice in my head. It's really funny. You know, you've worked with someone long enough when you can just coach yourself. <laughs> and I would say to her, I'd be like, I, cause I li- so I, I live in the West village. And for those listening who don't um, know New York, it is hard to describe how small apartments are here um, and how trying it can be to live in certain ones. My apartment is essentially the size of a hotel room with a tiny, it's hard to even call this a kitchen, you guys. But like, I mean, it's technically like you can heat food here. Like it's it's a kitchen. (laughs) As a refrigerator and a microwave and a sink and a stove and an oven, I store things in my oven and there's like, there's not even enough, like there's no counter, there's zero counter space. So you can't prepare. And then also it's like in your bedrooms and your apartment smells like food like it's weird. So I would say to my life coach I'd be like I need a, I need a kitchen. I need a big open beautiful kitchen. So I have to move to Austin and she'd be like or you could move to Brooklyn. Like you don't have to like. uh, <laughs> you know. So so the whole point of this is like if you feel like you need to make a big move, I would take pause and be like, what am I searching for? Because maybe if you want a kitchen, you don't have to move to Austin. You want to move to Brooklyn. Or maybe if you need creativity, more creativity in your days, you don't need to get a new job. You need to join a poetry class, right? So like you can start there. And- my move was different. I knew with that beyond a shadow of a doubt, and five years later, I feel even stronger about this that I needed to move to New York. You know, it, had I just been like, oh, I'm bored in San Diego, maybe I would have moved to a different neighborhood of San Diego, right? Or something like that. But like, I knew I needed to move cities. But oftentimes, what you don't need is this like colossal earth shifting change. What you need is to be like, what, but what's the thing? And how can I have that thing with the life I have and maybe start there and then go from there? You know, maybe you do that and you go, nope, didn't need poetry classes. I need a new job. And then like, maybe you look, you know what I mean? But like, Mm -hmm. I almost think of it like, I remember when I used to have a car, I haven't had a car in five years, but when I used to have a car, um, when something would go wrong, my first thought was like, oh, I need a new car. And then. (laughs) And then, or my dad would be like, or try changing a spark plug, you know? So like, I kind of think of it that way. Like start small with one little fix. Maybe that's the thing. And then if that doesn't work, maybe go a little bigger and then go a little bigger. But I don't think you always need to like uproot your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a, there's a path to it.
0: No, I totally agree, and I think it's, it points back to to really developing a keen understanding and an intimate relationship with yourself just so that you know yourself well enough to know what you need in different situations it's like that was my advice to people even even back in college and trying to discern what you wanted to do as your career or your life path. It was like for myself, I really just broke it down to what are the actual characteristics that I want my day to look like, or the thing, the characteristics that I want myself to have in this role. And it's like, you kind of backwards plan that way, instead of looking at other things going, can I see myself there? Can I see myself there? It's like, no, what do I need? And what do I want most? And now how can I apply that to best to whatever opportunities are in front of me? So it's like, you're building off of a root of really deep internal fulfillment and satisfaction, instead of trying to fit yourself into a, a pre-made bubble.
1: <laughs> That's so true. I love that. You know, I come back to that a lot. Of like, how do I want to feel, right? right? Or what is the experience to be like, and then from there, like you said, you reverse engineer the journey. Based on the things that really matter to you versus like, and I think homes are a good example here. It's like a lot of people get a bigger home when they actually never wanted the big home. They just wanted the front porch, right? They're like, well, yeah. I, just, I just really want to spend time on a front porch. Suddenly you have five bedrooms so that you're heating and cooling and cleaning and dusting and, you know, and like, yeah. And you're like, wait, you could have gotten like a three bedroom bungalow with a front porch. Like, it's like, Start with, like, and that's I use the kitchen example, but it's actually true. I really want a kitchen. And so when I do go apartment hunting in like a year when this lease is up, which I think I will, I think it's probably time just for a new, you know, change of space. I'm not necessarily going to be looking even for like a one bedroom or a doorman. I'm going to start by looking for a nice kitchen because that's what I think about every day. I don't mm-hmm. think about, a I don't even think about a bedroom. I think about a kitchen. So yeah, you can start there and then build out. Absolutely. So I know you've shared a pretty cool idea too
0: before in talking about how we all might worry from time to time, but we might also have that girlfriend who basically, who worries with a capital W, so to speak, and how (laughs) we as women are all born with the exact number of eggs in our ovaries that we'll have for our lifetime. So in theory, we existed inside of our grandmothers, which is crazy to think about. So, and I know you've talked about how to sort of use that information to look at our maternal grandmothers' lives as means of studying our own cellular, cellular data, so to speak, So can you talk to us more about that and what that means or how to maybe draw inferences with that information about maybe why we are the way we are in certain areas, since we're on the topic of figuring out who you really are and what you need on a really core level?
1: Sure. So I'm going to repeat the beginning of what you said for listeners who are like, what? (laughs) <laughs> um it's crazy so You wrap your head around. So it is crazy. It's like those remember those like stacking Russian dolls, so like a mm-hmm. tiny doll, bigger, bigger 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 I love those. Um so so for your listeners, uh but PS, uh not an expert. I just read this in like a scientific article. So there this but I'm pretty sure it's true cuz I googled it and it seemed to be pretty accurate. It seems true. It seems like I it checks it. out. <laughs> yeah, I did I, I did Google. I did a 10 second Google before writing my article about this. But um So what we're saying is, uh, so listener, you were an egg inside of your mother's ovaries while your mother was in utero inside her mother. So when a baby girl is in utero, all of her eggs exist before she's born and no new eggs are created after she's born. So what that means is you existed inside the belly of your maternal grandmother. And I think that's really fascinating. You know, there's this there's this line that I think is so real. And it's, um, if it's hysterical, it's historical. And oftentimes when you find yourself having just like, we all have it right. That time we were like, why am I freaking out? But I'm freaking out. <laughs> um, it's usually, I joke, I say it's either hunger hormones or history. Um, and Amen. yeah, <laughs> the three H's and, um, and i and I believe in cellular data again, I am by no means an anthropologist or a scientist, but I don't believe that you come out of the womb a blank slate how could you not? You lived inside your mother, your mother lived inside her mother, you share the genes, you share the coding, you know there's a reason puppies are born and know how to sniff for the right you know things like that. it's generational and and so. I very much believe in cellular data and that we are products of many generations before us that formed the cells and even the thoughts and the, you know, everything of who we are today. I don't believe we come out as blank slates. Um, so, one example I give that I'm very open about is um, my headspace and heart space around finances this is very layered for me I was raised in a household where money was a big source of fighting and tension among my mom and dad my I was raised in a really unique home where my mom was the breadwinner she made a lot of money and so she was she was gone a lot working making a lot of money and my dad made a modest but fine income but he was home taking care of me and my brother every night after school and they would fight a lot about money my mom was a big spender and my dad was not and it was anyway so I grew up where money was like this battle. Um, and then also, you know, again, going back to the like, I was an egg inside my mom, inside my grandmother, you know, my grandmother was raised, you know, very poor on a farm in Oklahoma. And so, because I've always struggled my whole life, I've been like, why am I so fearful of not having money when I was actually raised with a lot of money? Um, I was raised with an abundance of money and things. And, and, um, and, uh, but then I thought, well, you know, maybe there's more to that because before that money, there wasn't money. Um, and I was there too. So I just think, you know, I love the idea of getting curious. And mm-hmm. I love the idea of honoring your ancestors too by, by knowing that they're part of your journey and who you are today. But what I also love is that you can also honor them, thank them for everything they went through to get you to where you are today. And then and then, let go of some of those old stories and write a new story.
0: That's awesome. I love that. And speaking of money, um, let's talk about your TED Talk, <laughs> Sufficiency is Sexy, the Rest is House Money. Can you fill listeners in on house money and how that applies to everyday life?
1: For sure. So, you know, the TEDx Talk started when um, – I, I knew I wanted to give one. It was a talk about like a life goal. I've only had a few really, really big goals in life. One was to live in New York, one was to run a marathon, and one was to give a TEDx talk. And um and I've done all three, which is super cool. I will never run another marathon again. Good for um, you. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was I love I lost toenails. It was awful. But oh my um, yeah, but it was great. And but the, you know, sufficiency is sexy. The rest is house money. You know, it all started sort of with this idea, right? Like I, I, I set up the talk by saying like, imagine, you know, you're in Vegas, right? And you bring, you know, $500 to the blackjack table. And before you know it, you're up to like $3,000. That 2,500, the money you just like got handed within like, let's just say, you know, half an hour or whatever, that's house money. And the way I think of that is like it easy come, right? And so then when you lose it, it's not like losing twenty five hundred dollars of like hard earned money that you like gave up days and weeks and nights of your life for to earn, right? And so it kind of started with that and just like how much we hold on to things. And if we were a little looser, maybe more house money would flow in because we wouldn't have this like ten and two death grip on things in our life. And and then from there, you know. I just started thinking back on like the gifts I've been given and the life I live today. And, and then it transitioned into this talk about this cycle of inadequacy that so many of us live in. I'm, I'm envious of people who don't, to be honest with you. -hmm. And I, but when I talk about the cycle of inadequacy, what I mean is so just picture yourself, you know, standing at a starting point. You set a goal. Whatever that goal is, it could be to lose a certain number of pounds, to make a certain amount of money, to have a certain number of followers on Instagram, right? Like whatever you decide this goal is. And by the time you reach it, somehow you forgot that one day in the past it was a goal and a dream. And it just feels like real life. And the day you reach it, you don't even celebrate and do, you know, your little yeah. end zone dance. You just go oh, well now, oh, I'm at 10,000 followers. Okay, now I need to get to 20, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, so-and-so is at 20. I gotta get to 20. like, and And when you do that, you spend every day of your life for the rest of your life just feeling like you're not good enough and that if you have more, you'll be happy. But then you get the more that you thought you wanted and you're not happy. So then you think more will make you happy. And it's this maddening circle. And I don't wanna sit on my deathbed one day and think wow i never thought i was wealthy enough pretty enough skinny enough smart enough popular enough lovable enough right like when is it going to be enough and so it the tedx talk was really about breaking that cycle and it's easy to get into that space but somehow some way we've got to stop and be really proud of where we are and go back and look at the young girl or the young boy years behind us who one day looked at this and was like, holy cow, that would be amazing. And we're living the life that we used to dream of and we don't think it's good enough. And that really breaks my heart. I do it too. It's a daily struggle. It really is a daily struggle for me, especially... I'm actually not even going to say especially in New York, because I don't believe that. I would feel this way no matter where I lived. It's a daily struggle to feel successful in a world where so much success is just put in front of you every day mm-hmm. by other people. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, social media makes it all, all the more difficult just because everyone else's perceived or so-called successes are right, in, right on our Instagram feed for us to see too. So I mean, I'm right there with you. I have the exact same struggle. What do you think is the key to breaking the cycle? Like, What do you think it's going to take to click in people's brains, especially for people like you and I who probably think pretty similarly are very much a, a, go, a go-getter, a goal-getter, very ambitious, very proactive. What's going to break the cycle?
1: Volunteer at a hospice center for six months. I'm <laughs> serious. Like, yeah. not being really serious. It's something I want to do because, I mean, there are a lot of articles and pieces on end-of-life thoughts. And not one person wishes they'd worked more. Not one person wishes their bank account was bigger. Not one person wishes they were five pounds skinnier. All they talk about is, I wish I'd loved myself more. I wish I'd called my mother more. I wish I had worked less. I wish I'd been more present, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think being faced by the realities of the real finish line, um, I believe in eternity after death, but still, well, you know, the earth finish line, being faced by the realities of the real finish line, I think that would wake a lot of people up really, really fast, including me. It's something that um, is very much on my plans is to volunteer at some sort of hospice or um, end of life center where I can be there with and for people um, and hopefully take some of those learnings also out into the world because don't, I personally don't know how else to stop it.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, hey, sign me up with you because I think that's a great idea and a lot more people should probably prioritize that because it's a shame that it gets to a point of needing something so morbid and mortal slapped in your face to get such an important and invaluable point across. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like, wow, everyone should get that ASAP <laughs> because life is so short and we don't have we don't
1: have time to waste. So, Now, you know, and, and and maybe that's a big jump for some people or that doesn't work for them, but make friends with someone in their eighties or nineties. I I went, um, to Argentina over Thanksgiving about four or five months ago, four months ago with one of my best friends and she's in her seventies and we spent a week in Argentina on vacation. And she's like a, you know, she's like family to me. I met her when I lived in San Diego. We lived in the same building I'm friends with her because she's just the best. Um, But I treasure our friendship and I learn and listen to her so much because it's the same reason that I blog for young women. You know, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm a little bit of a voice from the future being like, hey girl, I was you. I also spent so much headspace and heart space thinking about these things. And I promise you, you're not going to care. Move on. Focus on this instead. You know, Mm -hmm. so if volunteering at a hospice center isn't the right fit. And, and it's not for many people. I actually don't even know if you can do that, by the way. I just know that somehow I want <laughs> to be, somehow, I just, I, wa- I do want to get there. But um, really, truly befriend someone decades older than you and talk to them because I think there's so much to be learned um, from people who have that, that point of view, that person.
0: Absolutely. On the topic of, um, perspective too, you kind of needed this and this goes off of what we were just talking about, but then also with your move, how do you personally differentiate between wants and needs? And do you have any advice for people making those kind of lists, whether it's for a move or whether it's just in terms of a shift in perspective, just to have the right sort of things, um, prioritized in life? How do you differentiate between the two for yourself?
1: Yeah, I feel like everyone once in life should be forced to like move move their entire life in seven boxes and start over. It's crazy <laughs> when you have no choice. I mean, I really didn't. It wasn't for me the way I was moving and everything. It wasn't an option to bring everything and also I didn't want to. Um but <laughs> it was it was crazy. You should Here's what I'll say actually. Even if you don't actually do that. You should be forced to go through every single item in your home, down to like a potato peeler, <laughs> and have to look at it. This is what I did, you guys. For months in my home in San Diego, I had to go through. I mean, every sock, every tweezer, every potato peeler. Like, it's not like I could just take big things and dump them into a moving box, right? I had to look at every single thing I had ever bought and go, Do I donate it? Do I sell it? Do I keep it? Like. And it it does a couple things. You realize what you really care about, but also you really take stock in how much stuff you've bought that you never even used or wanted. Or I still remember I had this super fancy garlic thingamajig. I don't even cook with garlic. Like, I like garlic, but I just bought it pre-minced. I apparently thought I was like the barefoot Contessa, and I <laughs> bought... Some $50 dollars duo from Williams-Sonoma for garlic. And I'd never even used it. And so that is a phenomenal practice. And I know a lot of people do like the Marie Kondo method. Mm -hmm. Big fan. Like, does it spark joy? For sure. Um, So being forced to evaluate every single item you've ever owned is huge. Um, And then the things I've learned. So I live in... I never actually know. I really should know this. I don't know. We'll say 400 square feet, but honestly, that sounds generous. Um, but my little apartment and so I can't have a lot of things, right? Like I have one black winter jacket. I have one frying pan for eggs. You know, I have one spatula. I'm looking around my apartment right now. I have one good black bag. Like (laughs) you don't have for things what you end up doing is buying one that you love and that's cool though because then what that means is my home is full of a few things that I really love Mm -hmm. um so so I you know and then also when I lived in San Diego and Jacksonville I was definitely that person who would like shop for sport, like at a board. I'd be like, well, I have nothing to do on a Thursday night. Let me go to Target. Like, <laughs> I would do- Guilty. yeah, yeah. And I would, I would shop for sport just literally as an activity. And like other people play tennis. I'm like, I go to Home HomeGoods. And, <laughs> and, you know, and so forget even about the money, but like, like what? Like, that's how you spend walking around aisles and picking up a bowl and putting it back down. Like, that's how you want to spend the hours and the days of your life. Like it just, um, it just really made me reevaluate not just how I spend my money, but how I spend my time. Mm-hmm. So I don't spend time buying things anymore because I can't, cause I have nowhere to put them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes a big difference. So I would start with the Marie Kondo method, if anything. That, to me, I think is the smartest way to clean out and up-level the things in your life.
0: I love that too. And it's like, once you have surrounded yourself with just all of the things that you so truly love, 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 it's like, I can't help but think you're just so full of gratitude then when you're looking around and you just truly love and can appreciate all of the single soul things in front of you that have just that serve you in your everyday life and you just love so do you have any sort of daily practices or mantras or anything that help you in being grateful because i mean in talking about perspective like we were too and the end of the end of life the the so-called finish line of it all everyone always says, you know, gratitude is the key. So is there anything that you have found that's been really helpful in really appreciating life and practicing gratitude?
1: Yeah, I really love gratitude. I use an app called happy, not perfect. And I really love it. It's like $5 a month. Um, and I think it's $5 well spent and you can do these daily practices and it's, you know, it's like five total minutes and it starts with a breathing exercise. They ask you how you're feeling. So the practice is tailored to your mood for the day and it includes everything from maybe, you know, a daily practice could include setting a couple of goals for the day. Um, it can also include a list of things you're grateful for and you store them all in the app. So at any point you can pull up your gratitude list, right? Or you can pull up your goal list, It has some sort of usually like a very zen, like computer game, like not really, but like a thing that's like, make the little ball, go through the maze where you just sort of zone out and then it ends with a three minute meditation. And I always really love that. Um, I definitely believe in gratitude. I, I have this thing and I don't know, I feel like my brain just makes things up sometimes, but I really believe this. So this is my belief, but... I believe that your soul chose you before you were born. And I believe that when, so when I'm having a moment, and trust me, I have a lot of them, when I'm either feeling, you know, bummed out about something in the past or something situational or whatever, I take a minute and I close my eyes and I actually picture this soul up in heaven while my mom was pregnant with me. I always get emotional when I talk about this.. Sorry. Um, I picture this soul up in heaven when my mom was pregnant with me back in 1976. And I picture this soul looking down at this little baby in the belly and saying, "I want her. I want her life." And I believe that this soul knows exactly what my life is going to look like. And so whenever I have a moment, if I have a moment of like... You know, I'm 43 and I'm single and I'd love to have a partner, right? I have that moment, but then I imagine I imagine that soul up in heaven going, I want her. I want to be 43 and single. Or if I have a moment where I'm like, I live in this little apartment. I wish I had a bigger apartment. I picture that soul up in heaven being like, I want to live in that little apartment one day in New York. Like, I actually feel like this was my chosen life. And So, um, when I have these moments of gratitude, I'm so thankful, but I also, I'm grateful for what I am happy about and love. But when I have moments of like feeling like sad about something, I just remind myself that one day there was a soul that chose this beautiful life and to honor that soul and to live the life that was chosen.
0: Well, that's beautiful. (laughs) I love that. Thank you for sharing that perspective. That's I've never thought of it like that before, but it makes so much sense. And you're right. That is such a beautiful way to keep in perspective the the crappy times in life too. Or the times where we're just like, oh, why me? Is this all gonna be okay in the end? It's like it's just nice to be able to think that there there is someone or a being or anything. Like, I mean, hey. I firmly believe that God up there knew exactly what our paths would be for the rest of our life and our backs are covered, you know? So for what matters in the end, it's all going to work itself out how it's meant to be. So I agree. Yeah. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) So Amy, I want to close out by asking you something that I ask every guest who comes on the Thrive podcast, and that is what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life?
1: I think thriving to me and like striving to thrive every day in my life means taking risks. And I feel like I'm thriving when my heart is pounding and I'm freaking the heck out. Like that's when I'm thriving. I'm not thriving when I'm doing a face mask. I'm not thriving when I'm, you know, like I'm thriving when I'm kind of terrified, and and when I say taking risks, like I, I really try. So like I'll give you an example. This morning I was at my coffee shop um, in my neighborhood blogging. I wake up obscenely early. I'm just this very early riser, so I was there first thing, and I walk in, and there's this incredibly good-looking man sitting there, and he's like sitting at a table, and I'm sitting over by these leather chairs. So he, like, anyway, we weren't near each other. But then at one point he comes over and sets his stuff down on one of the leather chairs right next to me. and's like, Hey, can you watch his stuff for a second? Of course I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then he came back and I thought he was just going to grab his things and leave, but he got another coffee and just sat down right next to me. So I just was like, all right, girl, here we go. And <laughs> Looked at him. I go, oh, did you need a change of scenery? And we ended up like talking for like a half an hour. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you know, and to some people that might not sound brave, but that is brave, and that's risky to talk to a stranger and start a conversation. And those are that to me is thrive. Like I feel like I'm thriving when I'm sparking these little magical moments in life with other humans. Um. And I just love connecting with people, except at the gym. I'm terrified of connecting with people at the gym. I completely (laughs) say to myself, I'm so weird, so awkward, but um, I don't know. I just get really self-conscious. But yeah, to me, thriving is truly just beautiful, magical little moments with other people and connecting with strangers. It's one of my favorite things to do by far.
0: And to what you just said too, it, You're absolutely right. It's not like there is some universal standard of this is a risk. It's really just about doing what feels risky to you in the sense of, I really think it just comes down to getting comfortable being uncomfortable and being willing to be in positions where you are forced to grow. And I mean, for some people, striking up conversation with a very attractive male counterpart that you do not know might seem Like it's a piece of cake, and to others, they might rather die before they do that. So, it really just is about meeting yourself where you're at and taking one step beyond that.
1: It is, and I'm a big believer in the butterfly effect. I believe that one teeny, teeny, tiny thing can set off a complete wave of big time. It's happened to me. I mean, we're wrapping up, it's another story for another day, but I live in New York City today because a guy said hi to me at a Starbucks seven years ago. So, wait, no, 10 years ago. Sorry. Literally someone just said good morning to me at a Starbucks. And because of that, I live in New York today. I am the biggest believer in magical moments and the butterfly effect.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on Thrive, Amy. Um, Where can people find you online if they want to read your blog, listen to your podcast, or just connect with you in some other way?
1: Cool. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, It's sipsofsunshine.com, S-I-P-S of sunshine.com. My blog is, or that's my blog. And then my podcast has the same name, Sips of Sunshine. So find me there. Feel free to follow and enjoy. I send, if you sign up um, for my newsletter, I send out an email whenever I do a new blog post, which is like once a month. So don't worry, you won't get a ton of emails. But um, that's an easy way to stay on top of my writing. And um, thanks so much for having me on. I just love getting to have conversations like this. And I, I know that someone today is listening to this and that this was exactly what they needed to hear. And I'm so happy that you and I could come together to share this.
0: Absolutely. Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Laganza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.